Welcome to the Positive Sports Podcast. I'll be your host this afternoon, Ed Montana. Alongside me today, what's up? My brother Alex. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing all right, man. I'm not feeling too well today, so you know. So, uh, so they here in Texas, we're starting to open some more stuff up today, mm. starting today. Yep. And one of the things that they're opening up today, although I don't think everyone's on board. Is gyms, mm-hmm. and I'm a runner, so I don't go to the gym that much. I should, right. and I can just run outside. So it's been status quo for me as far as what my exercise of choice. Mm-hmm. But you're a gym guy, I am, and I know you don't have a ton of weights at home or whatever. I've been to your house. Yeah. Well, are you are you going to the gym? Is your gym open? Let's start there. Is your gym open? The gym is open. Are you uh, my plan yesterday was to go today, and then that plan just went out the window. I said, <laughs> fuck it, I'm going to continue my quarantine. And uh, I got lazy, and I said, fuck it. I didn't feel like going, so I enjoyed my sleep this morning. Now, now, did you not go because you think it's too soon, or did you not go because you just didn't feel like it, like working out today? Yeah, I just I didn't feel like making the effort. So I'm going to continue being lazy. I'm hoping to put on you know a few more pounds. Well then, the you know the the comeback story is that's, even greater, that's right? That's it, man. That's that's the good thing about about no, getting heavy I, or whatever. You know, I I I do plan on going. I, I was you know maybe like a couple weeks ago or a month ago, I was one of those people that said, "Now nah, I'm gonna wait a couple weeks until you know, because everybody's gonna." But I I, you know, well I say now I need to go to the gym. I want to go to the gym, even though I didn't go today. But I plan on going. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wait. I mean, you know. I'll take my precautions and then that's it. I'll read the 67-page affidavit that they have, you know, so that uh, I can do all the shit. But, eh, it's yeah, whatever. It's, 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 you know, we've been talking about this, obviously, for weeks. But it's a it's a whole new world, right? My son uh, plays in baseball tournaments, right? We've talked about that before. Well, the organization that puts on most of his tournaments, a company called, uh, it's a entity called USSSA. Mm-hmm. Um, they sent out, you know, they're starting to put on tournaments starting this coming weekend, and they sent out a waiver that you have to sign before your kid can participate. The waiver is 12 pages long. Shit. And I'm like, what? I mean, that's crazy. It's, I understand all everybody's the gotta, Everybody's got to cover their asses now. Yeah, I mean, but... It, so I understand we're, that we're not gonna get, we're not gonna get anything done if we have to, have to sign waivers for everything. I'll tell you who's gonna love this. Those are the lawyers. Yeah, they're gonna be rich. Right. Crazy as it well, seems. Yeah. Well, you know, it's gotta. We're starting to see stuff come back, right? So, the UFC had their first event last week. They had another one on Wednesday. They had another one on Saturday, which uh, I went ahead and 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 and. Did a live podcast with uh, with my buddy Ken. Uh, since since you couldn't make it, uh, I got Ken to watch the fights. And if you haven't seen the fights from Saturday, mm-hmm. you can sync up to our podcast, and it's like watching the fight with two more dudes yeah. instead of watching it at home alone. But that's your choice. Catch that on YouTube. Um, so the the UFC is going. Um, German soccer started back up over the weekend. Uh, NASCAR had a race uh, yesterday. That's not a sport. Well, it's a it's a it's a it's a sport just like every other sport. <laughs> just because they drive a car. <clears throat> Have you ever driven a car for four hours? Plenty of yeah. At top speed. Uh, yeah. Come on. 
I've been in the car with you. You drive like a grandma. Yeah, that's not a sport, but yeah, whatever. It's a NASCAR. They don't do shit. They drive. Plus, they're like so protected. They have like fire suits on. I wonder if they had to wear masks in the car. (laughs) Well, no, because they're by themselves. Yeah, but eventually, right? They go into the pits, and there's all these other people around. Yeah, but the you know the pit men are not uh you know sticking their head in the window and shit. Six feet, bro. They're closer than six feet. Everything's yeah, six feet. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, so we're starting to see stuff come back. And it, it really makes me wonder what... Like, what are we going to do? Like, what are the major sports going to do? And the, the one thing that I find super interesting is... We hear very little from basketball and hockey. And we hear quite a bit from baseball. Now, my theory is... Baseball, we hear a lot from baseball because it's a lot harder to negotiate the right. whole new season that they're going to have, right? The new the new framework. And that's why they're both, you know, both sides are chirping to the media to start to kind of paint their picture. Um, but it, it's getting interesting. And I, I'm just wondering, I'm, I would think everyone has the same sense of urgency, Right, but I would think basketball and hockey have a greater sense of urgency because they were in the middle of their season. Yeah, who's coming back first? <laughs> I don't know, man. I I have no fucking clue. <laughs> I think maybe all these other sports are just uh, you know guinea pigs for the four majors to see how it works out with them, and you know, then and then they'll start ramping it up even more. The NFL has to be loving this. The timing of this, because it, yeah. they are probably the least affected as of right now. But even then, there's been some talks about, you know, them starting the season later, their Super Bowl going into, like, March, and then you got college football, who starts a month earlier than the NFL. There, Some teams are not, you know, the, the facilities being open. I think that is very important. You know, the facilities being open, traveling uh the proximity of of you know yeah of just traveling and right. trying to find a place where you can uh work out and stuff like that uh the clippers and the lakers i think they they opened theirs up today but not really? not yeah but mm-hmm. not for voluntary workouts but not everybody's opening up so you know training if you're an athlete whatever high school uh you know little league whatever you know, training is important, you know, so how, you know, how do you, and practices, you gotta, you gotta yeah, practice, practice, you know, I mean, we know, that's the part I find, Allen Iverson doesn't like practicing, but I bet he, he would now, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that that's important too, you know, practicing, I mean, so, yeah, getting, getting that, getting if, those reps in with your, with your teammates, yeah, I mean, and that's really the first, the first step, and if, and if, you know, teams, and if that's not open for teams and players, then that's just going to, you know, prolong the start of the seasons, right? Well, I, I, what I'm curious about is what happens in the in the places with more stringent rules, in the places where there are higher incidents of COVID, right? Like New York. What are the Knicks and the Nets doing? Those facilities, surely those facilities aren't aren't opening up. Right. But then, you know... That's where it gets... That, see, to me... That is where the real difficulty comes in um, for any league here in the U.S. to start. Mm-hmm. Is what do you do about the teams in New York? 
because and California and, and well and California right because they had a lot of but in New York and California as well you've got multiple teams it's not one team right it's yeah. not like you know it's not like Michigan that's got one team Detroit right. you've got multiple teams how does it how's that gonna work and and in college you have even more you right. have right you have a handful of more teams I wonder college. I wonder in college right like California's already said that they're going to do the online thing for enough, for for the fall semester. Mm. So how's that going to work for the athletes? <laughs> right? Like it's just I don't know. It, it it is very confusing. I have found this whole thing to be very interesting. I would love to uh I would love to figure out I would love to sit in on the negotiations and hear what they have to say and how it's working and what the different plans are, but I just, I don't know how the leagues are going to do it. I still think, I still think the only way to do it is to have pods, right? To have two or three locations, three or four locations where you, uh, <clears throat> you, uh, you put the teams there and, and, and work them out, you know, have them work out there. And, and, and train there and play there because you can't like who's gonna want to go into New York at this point right even in even next month who's gonna want to go to New York you know I, yeah, quite nobody. frankly yeah I don't I don't see I don't see how I don't know I don't I, don't I think it's it. more complicated than than what we think you know oh, yeah. I mean there's just everybody has to agree to it you know what I mean I'm sure these coaches are talking with the players they're getting feedback and you know that feedback is getting relayed to the you know, uh, executives of the league and all that stuff. So there's a lot to iron out. You know, it, this seems like it's been going, you know, it seems like we've been in quarantine for six months, but in reality, reality, it's only been two, two and a half, three months, two, two months. So, you know, that first month, there was probably no talk of anything, right? And then the talks... And the ideas probably started ramping up in yeah. April. So they've been really only a month into this. But it's it's something way bigger that you have to plan. And, you know, ideas have to be... Ideas first have to be kicked around. Then you got to, you know, out of all those ideas, you have to pick the best ones. Then you have to dig deeper into those and see how you can make them work. Yeah, yeah, So. Right. It's, the logistics it's, of it all is is fascinating. Yeah, it's it's really it's very complex, and you said something there that I don't completely agree with, but makes brings up an interesting problem. Is you said everyone has to agree. That's not gonna happen. Mm. You probably can't get the thirty owners in baseball to agree, let alone the fifteen hundred right. players to agree. So it's it's going to be very difficult. Well, you and have that, to agree to a. Compromise. Oh yeah, right, right. Because right. at the end of the day, that you know, they're both pulling in their own direction. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we talked, we've talked about this a lot before. You have to scrap everything that you think is normal, and and basically every idea has to be vetted and see if it's a viable option. Um, and I don't, I think in some cases there's such uh, so many scars. From the years of negotiations between, and I'm talking mostly in baseball, mm -hmm. 
so many scars from the years of negotiation between the owners and the players. It's been a, you know, it, there's been relative peace, but it's but there has always been that underlying acrimony between both sides that sometimes it's just using the wrong word, right? That all of a sudden it becomes a, no, a, a deal breaker. Right. You know, one of the things that came up with the owners and the players was the owners wanted to do a... 50-50 revenue split. And as soon as the players heard revenue split, they said, nope, we're out. We're not doing that. Because that sounds like a salary cap. And right. that's been, you know, the salary cap thing has been an issue between the owners and the players since, you know, since the very first union, right? Back in 1967 or whenever it is that they started the players union. Um so sometimes it's really it's stuff like that that just makes it very difficult, um, and you know the NBA has similar issues, the NHL has similar issues, but those sports are have a different. Those unions don't have the same kind of power that the that the baseball union right. has, and so the base and that's why and that's also why the baseball one I feel is the most public of of all the plans that they're kicking around. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm you know look they already. Look, there was a signed contract. You signed a contract with these players whenever they signed their contract. Then the players agreed to take a pro-rate, prorated salary. There, there was an agreement. I mean, how much more of a fucking pay cut do you want the players to take? You know, well, the owners and, want, and the the owners are greedy. Number the, one, the, the owners want the players to take the same pay cut they're taking. Well, I mean, look, I'm sorry, but I side with the players here. And if if they don't feel like playing and or they don't want to agree to what the owners are proposing, then then fuck it. No baseball. I'm fine with that. I mean, the owners the owners make so much fucking money. Here's the thing, Alex. I I agree with you to an extent, but there's one difference here. The players don't lose money, right? The players, if they play, let's take... They already lost money. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. We'll take baseball player A. He makes $10 million a year. He will make somewhere between zero and $10 million. He will not actually lose money, right? He will not have to take money out of his pocket to play baseball, right? He, He will... You know, he'll play half the season and, you know, they'll agree to 50%. He'll get $5 million. Uh, they'll do a revenue share and he'll only get 30%. He'll get $3 million. Uh, they'll, uh, they'll scrap the whole season and he'll make zero. But he won't have to take money out of his pocket. Right. The owners, on the other hand, will have to take money out of their pockets. Because if there is no season, there's fixed costs that they still have to pay. They still have to pay rent, Right. They still have to pay. There's certain things that they're still going to have to pay. It's going to cost them money out of their pocket. If they have the players play and the revenue stream is cut at a greater percentage than the, than the player's salary is cut, now they're possibly going to lose money. And that's where the rub comes for the owners. And while I agree with you, the owners are, you know, they're wealthy people. Who cares, kind of? On the flip side, if too many of those owners lose money, we could end up losing teams. Which that wouldn't be a bad thing. Might not necessarily be a bad thing, but who wants to lose? Who wants to lose their teams, right? And that becomes a 
snowball effect, right? Because now if you have, instead of having 30 teams, let's say you have 24 teams, that's 80%. Now your TV contract gets cut. So now it makes it harder for another four or five teams to make money. And it, it could, and I'm not saying it would, but it could eventually lead to the dissolution of the league, right? Because teams would lose money, and eventually you'd end up with only this the, the really rich teams, right? The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers types of teams, and you'd end up with a league of six teams. And, well, and, and as a, that's as, not worth it. As right? a fan of the uh, New York Mets, I could care less if the fucking Wilpons are losing money. Fuck them. And but, you, but what if what if it happened to the extent that the Mets had to fold? Would you okay. care then? Then, yeah. As long as the Wilpons are not the owners of the Mets, then that's fine. Well, no, but what I'm saying <laughs> I is, can find another baseball team to become a fan of. But what I'm saying is, would you be okay with the league shrinking to the point that there are no Mets? There's only one team in New York now. It's the Yankees. Well, I mean, they'll they'll be a Mets. I'm I'm pretty sure they'll they'll be a Mets. So some. There'll be a Mets. There'll be two teams in New York. But I mean, I don't. I don't think that would happen. But no. But but that's the trend, right? I know. It, but I, I'm just saying. It. I don't think that would happen. Is what I'm saying. Somebody would fucking come in and buy the Mets. Maybe is what I is what I think. Maybe not. I mean, would you want to own a franchise now? Right today, if you get a good enough deal, yeah. But well, there you go. But you're not gonna get a. But you may not get a good deal, right? And no. you don't know. Steve what's Cohen's out there. He's he's he's, he's <laughs> ready to buy. So I mean, what he was offering for the Mets, uh, he's, you know. Man, is he happy that that know. deal fell through or what? Because he'd have paid that money, and the very first year he'd have lost money. Right. He'd have lost quite a bit. Well, you know, this is what this is what this is what these fucking owners get for uh, you know giving out these. Large, lucrative contracts, and I think going forward they're going to be more. <laughs> Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You just said you're in favor of the players. I am in favor of the players, but I'm saying this is what the owners get for giving out these crazy contracts. This, I mean, but that that's good for the players, right? But okay, but I'm I'm just saying though, they do they not give out crazy contracts? Yeah, but in basketball but you, they do. But you should be happy because that's you say you're for the players. Yes, I'm for the players, but that doesn't mean that I agree that some of these basketball players should be making fucking twenty five million dollars a year. They're not. Yeah. They're not top ten players. Yeah. Okay. Well then, I mean, right? Aren't they giving out crazy contracts in baseball? Yeah, but like I don't think Garrett Cole's fucking worth whatever he got. You got a shit ton. Okay, then. But but you're for the players. Yes, I'm for the players. Right, so you should be happy that the players got those big contracts, is what I'm saying. Right, but I don't, that doesn't mean that I agree that they should be paid that much money. No, but you should be... But, but, you're, but you're happy that they got it, that, they, that they're getting paid. Yeah, what I mean... I don't care. Look, <laughs> the, the fucking bottom line is I'm not for the owners. Right. But that's what I'm saying. That's what they. This is I what am, they get for giving out these contracts. I am, I am for the sport, and I just think that at some point we gotta we gotta stop. We don't have to do anything because we're not involved. The players and the owners have to stop with the labor acrimony and figure out how to make it work because there's a lot of money to be made for both sides. And at some not point, not this they, year. At some point, they'll with no, get there with no fans, right? At some point, they'll 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 get there, right? But the sport itself 
there's a lot of money to be made. And I think the players are, the players want to be partners, but they don't want to be partners. And, and this is true of everyone. Everyone wants to be a partner when they're making money. But when this happens and they're losing money, no one wants to be a partner, right? So, look, in baseball, the players have been benefiting from the big TV contracts that the owners have been negotiating with, with, with TV people for years. They've been benefiting from that. Now's the time to say, okay, we're going to take a we're going to take a hit here, but we got to do something to keep the ball rolling. And there's a big gap between what the players want and what the owners want in terms of just sheer dollars. And at some point, I think both sides are going to have to budge to get there because it's not completely fair that the owners you know, you're going to have owners that are going to lose money. Flat out lose money. I saw something yesterday. It's going to cost each team $640,000 per game of lost revenue with no fans. That's half a million. That's more than half a million dollars. If you multiply that out by 30 teams and 162 games, that's $1.5 billion that they make every year from fans. <laughs> One and a half billion. So let's take. Who do you want to take? Hikes. Who do you want to? Who do you want to take? What owner do you want to take? That's been owner the last twenty years. No, so no. how much money do they have? The 20, 20, twenty billion dollars. No, let's not do the wolf because they're still fucking paying their debts. They have. They have no fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have money. Who do you want to take? You want to take? Um, you want to take? Uh, they, yeah, okay, whatever. Right. They make a they're losing out a, on a billion a it's year. A, it's a billion and a half a year. That so in twenty them. years, that owner should have thirty billion. Thirty billion dollars. But he doesn't have it because there's also cost related to that, right? He didn't just make that that one and a half billion. They didn't just fans didn't just go there. Fans didn't just mail a check. But he's probably check. got a billion dollars at least. It depends on how they run it. Right. I mean, considering I guess, payroll and they, salaries and they, all that, I would guess that they've made money over time. Yes, absolutely. I don't think they. Okay. I don't think these are you know these are businessmen. I don't think they're losing money okay. uh, every single year. So one this season year, we can agree is not gonna you know fucking make them file chapter eleven, right? I don't think one season would. There may be some okay. smaller teams that would have a problem. Okay. But one se- again. The, that knife cuts both ways. That player that makes $10, $10 million and now is going to play 50% of the games and he expects to get five, he's not going to go broke if he only makes three, right? Which is a, roughly 30% is what the owners are going to make if they play half a season. 30% of the total revenue because they're losing that $1.5 billion with no fans. So that player A that makes $10 million a year, playing half a season... He'll get paid five. He would he would be okay if he made three, which which they already agreed to take no, a prorate no, well, pro salary. A, they've agreed to taking five, right? Well, so, shit. What? <laughs> that's so what five, I'm saying. Five or, five or three, he'd, he'd be okay. I don't know. Right. Well, the the problem is they, and I I think part of the problem is, and I, this is kind of the owner's fault. I think. The owners wanted to lock in the players on an agreement to play going forward in March. So as soon as this all hit, as soon as they had to suspend spring training and they knew they were going to have to push back opening day, 
The owners wanted to lock the players in and make sure that they had their buy-in that we we're going to do something. So they threw out that prorated number, which was a mistake because, in hindsight, it was a mistake because now we realize the prorated number, you're not getting the same revenue for those 80 games. Mm-hmm. Sure, the TV contract will be the same, but now you have no fans, so you're losing that that revenue. And, and, and the reason we don't hear about this in other sports, think about it. Football, 16 games. It's not that much. The, the, the revenue that they generate from fans and concessions, and it's not, it's not as much. Right. right. Same thing with basketball and hockey, especially since they've already played two-thirds or three-quarters of their season. It's wildly interesting, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a lot of negotiation and a lot of back and forth. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know enough about the plan as it stands right now to say I side with one side or the other. I just know that they're going to have to work together to get something done because there's too much money out there to be made and there's too much money out there to be lost. That's the problem. Yep. Otherwise, we may end up with no baseball this year. And and of the three sports or four sports, I think the one that is in the most jeopardy of having no 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 activity for a full season, it's baseball. I mean, no. those idiots canceled the World Series once, remember. So they're obviously dumb enough and hard-headed enough to push themselves to the brink of canceling their main attraction. Surely they'll cancel the season. Right. No, no. Should be interesting. I think it'll be a while, though. The good thing is I think we have a little a little room. There's a long way to go to July 1st. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously you have to have something in place before then, but we're at, what, May 18th right now? So you're looking at six, six weeks. weeks. If they have a three-week spring training, they basically have to get this hammered out in the next two, three weeks. So, if they can't reach an agreement for July first, eighty-two games, then just fucking cancel it. I don't want to see no seventy, sixty-game season. That's for sure. I it, we've talked about this before. I don't think they'll go any shorter than half a 82? season. Eighty-two. I hope not. But I mean. Yeah, can you imagine a 40-game season? Yeah, no. no. 40 games. That's just crazy. Well, and and you know what would be really interesting about that? Is how the player contract negotiations would work going forward. Right. Because someone would have a great 40 games and they'd be like, (laughs) look, if you take this and put it out to a whole season, I would have hit 100 home runs. (laughs) 162-game average. Yeah. If you put that in my 162-game average, I would have had 42 wins as a starting pitcher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, man. Hopefully hopefully they come up with something. I hope so. I hope so. Switching gears to something a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting. We had the last two episodes of The Last Dance last night, the documentary about the Chicago Bulls, which I know you and I have watched. I've watched it religiously. I haven't missed a second of it. I watch it immediately. I, yeah. I cannot not watch it. Right. Um, what did you think about episodes 9 and 10, and the documentary as a whole, I guess, at this point? Uh, the last two episodes were good. Um I mean, I don't know. It was, I enjoy, I enjoyed the doc. It was a good documentary, uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't have any thoughts right now. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot more that I knew that I didn't know. I would mm-hmm. say that, but uh, it was uh, interesting to see. You know, 
Jordan speak his mind and uh, you know so it was alright I thought it was, it was really I thought uh, the documentary as a whole I thought was really good um, the thing I found interesting from 9 and, and, and 10 is I had forgotten what a run those Pacers had given the, the Bulls in 98 and really what a good team that was I mean no. obviously when you think of the Pacers all you think about is Reggie Miller but I mean they had a 7 foot 4 center in Rick Smits they had Mark Jackson who was really good at that mm-hmm. point in his career they had the Davis brothers right uh, they had Jalen Rose who, who was coming off the bench I mean that was a good good basketball team yeah. and with Smits and Miller and the Davis brothers really a physical team which kind of matches up to that Pistons team. Now, mind you, it was 10 years later, so it was not the same physicality because by that point they had kind of taken some of that out of the NBA. But it was, again, another physical team. The other thing that stuck out to me, you know, we've been hearing the comparisons between Jordan and LeBron a lot throughout this documentary. And the part that struck struck me only twice in those two title runs, or those Six title runs. Mm-hmm. Only twice did they go to a game seven. Yeah, I thought that was incredible that they they never a they never felt the pressure of a game seven or never they didn't feel the pressure of a game seven that much. Right, and two that they were so efficient against good teams that they didn't even make it to a game seven. So for all the talk about LeBron and how many trips to the finals and all that. Now that you mention it, it seems to me that to Jordan, playing against the Knicks was the easiest. I think he was... Now Now that you mention the Pacers, because in part, what, 9 or 10? Mm-hmm. In 9, he mentions that the Pacers gave them a run for their money and that they were the, the toughest team they faced besides the Bad Boys Pistons. Mm-hmm. He didn't mention the Knicks, and the Knicks were a pretty physical team, I think, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, they had right. Oakley, right, Anthony Mason. Xavier McDaniel. And it seemed like they, they went through their battles, but in reality, they, you know, the only, I mean, the only time the Knicks could beat them was when Jordan wasn't there. Yeah. In the playoffs. Yep, yep. And so now it kind of makes you wonder if to Jordan, it was easy going up against the Knicks. I don't know that he would call it easy, but I don't well, think he found it. It was easier. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely easier. Um, but I don't think he ever found the Knicks to be a daunting task. No, I think I think the Pistons he respected and he he found it. And that's weird because daunting. he only played the Pistons once or twice in the playoffs. Right. Twice. And with the Knicks, it felt like it was every damn yeah. Season. Well, he the, the 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 person he eliminated the most in those six title runs is Patrick Ewing yeah. and the Knicks four times. Right, four yeah. of those six years they they met him in the playoffs and and beat him. Yeah. Hmm. So the, the other thing that I uh, I really enjoyed was, and I wonder you and I talked about this earlier. They didn't finish this documentary when it first started. When episode one came out, the documentary wasn't done. Wow. And. I know I've seen some stuff over the weeks about Scottie Pippen and him kind of getting bashed because, of course, they show the migraine game and the game he doesn't want to come in, you know, because Tony Kukoc was getting the last shot. But last night we saw incredible amount of toughness from Scottie Pippen in that Utah game with the bad back. 
And I wonder if they didn't put more emphasis on that to counterbalance some of the stuff they had shown earlier in the documentary, which, you know, again, it's all factual, so... Yeah. But they showed a lot about it, and I thought it was really good, uh, and good for him, because I think... I think in a lot of ways, he doesn't get a lot of credit, and I think he deserves a lot of credit. Um, he's, you know, I'm not arguing that he was ever Batman, at least not when Jordan was around. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he was... A, he was I want to say better than just a Robin, right? Like Robin almost sounds derogatory, but he was, I mean, he was a very key piece of that team. And oh yeah, I mean he was a key piece, but he was huge. I mean, you know, there was plenty of times he didn't come up in the clutch though, with or without Jordan. Like when they were in the when they went to the playoffs in '88 or '89. I mean, his numbers were horrible, and I know, and I know he was just you know a couple years into the league, but. So was Jordan when he went to the playoffs in 86, and he fucking, Man. you know, he was pretty much carrying that 63 team. against the Celtics. You know? So, yeah, Pippen was great, no doubt. A Hall of Famer, all that stuff. But now, you know, I don't know that I give him all that much credit now. Yeah, I, I, so. I, I think that he gets painted... I think he does not get a lot of credit because he happened to be standing alongside the greatest basketball player ever. I think if he's... I think... Put it this way. I think we give Kyrie Irving more credit for those series that the Cavs made it to the finals and and won. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he was alongside LeBron. If Kyrie, if that same Kyrie Irving is next to Jordan, we look at him the same way we look at Pippen. And I think if we put Pippen next to LeBron, because LeBron is not that way, I think we we think more highly of of Pippen. I mean, if that, you, if you look at if, if you look at Kyrie Irving's numbers in the finals when he hit the that clutch shot, mm-hmm. I mean, he has some fucking crazy numbers. He averaged 54 percent shooting. I mean, he sh- he showed up for those finals. Oh, no, absolutely. absolutely. So, you know, although he was playing alongside LeBron, he still, he was a major factor. It's funny that, you know, like with Jordan, and I think this is one of those places where Jordan is better than LeBron, right? We've talked a lot about the comparison, but how he got guys to really step up in those moments, and specifically Paxson and Kerr. Um, and the the piece last night on Steve Kerr was I thought it was amazing I, yeah. I thought it was just great uh, and you can see you know that guy is a freaking genius he happens to be a basketball player and now coach right. but he's a genius look at his parents look at how he you know tried to emulate and learn as much as he could from Paxson because he knew that was going to be his role. Right. How much he's learned from Phil Jackson and how he coaches. You can see a lot of the similarities. Mm-hmm. And obviously the guy is just on his own, just flat out intelligent. Right. It, it actually makes me kind of excited to see him coach when Curry and Thompson are back. And it, it kind of makes me want to watch the Warriors a little more closely going forward because yeah. I thought... You know, he, it really impressed me. All all of his facets of how he yeah. is as a as a player and a coach. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And then you know, like people say, well, Paxton, Paxson, and Kerr bailed out Jordan. Yes, yes. But if it's you a team game. if you look at yeah, but if you look at the Paxson shot, 
that doesn't tell the whole fourth quarter. Like, if you go back and you look at whatever it was, yeah. episode three or four, Jordan had every single fucking point. Except for that one. Except for that one yeah, in yeah. the fourth quarter. And then, obviously, Jordan gets double teamed. I, what do you, I don't, like, I don't know what you want him to do, but he gets double teamed. He, he, I mean, he made the smart decision and passed to the wide open guy. I mean, yeah. what else is he supposed to do? You know, maybe LeBron, maybe LeBron would be better if he had teammates like Paxson and Kerr as opposed to J.R. Smith. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. See, that's where Michael Jordan is better. Michael right. Jordan was smart enough to pass to guys that could make the shot. Yeah. Whereas LeBron passed to a guy who wanted took to pass the shot when he wasn't supposed to, or who wanted to pass it back. Oh no, who ran? Who ran out to run out time <laughs> in a tie game? <laughs> God. That's why he didn't want to take the shot. Damn. See, that's because LeBron is not as good of a leader that's as right. Jordan is. Yeah. Jordan could keep people focused. LeBron couldn't keep. Yeah. <laughs> I, this. I mean, this should really put any. This should put the rest to any debate. There's just no debate, man. It. Nah, it there really isn't. It, it, Jordan is a. And, it, and what's, special special athlete. And what's crazy is Jordan, his second three P came on at the back nine. He was thirty one or yeah, thirty one to thirty three years old. Right. So, I mean, do you think they could have won a seventh? If they'd have yes. gone, could, could they have yes. gotten the four P? Who else is going to beat them? Well, the they, Pacers, they beat. They the beat. The Pacers and the Knicks were were good. Maybe the Pacers, but I mean, who who else was going to beat them? The Jazz. You think the Jazz were were going to beat them? Well, the Jazz never made it to the finals again. The I mean, yeah, but they were still a good team. No, yeah, yeah, yeah they were. But I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, who else was going to beat them? The Lakers. Know. Maybe the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because they didn't they form. That was yeah. Shortly after that is when Phil Jackson went to L.A. I think he had a year off. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I mean, I tell you what. I the the other thing that uh, made this documentary made me appreciate was, and I've said this before. I really appreciate Phil Jackson. I, I just his um, the his way of developing the mental toughness for that team to compete every night, and and part of that is Jordan as well, because of the way he is. But both of those guys, you know, they don't they don't worry about they don't seem to worry about anything other than the game at hand. There's no there's no there's no oh, you know, Scottie Pippen's not here, what are we gonna do? Right. There's no uh oh, you know, well, you know, we gotta win this game and then no, we gotta go to the final. There's no looking there's no looking back, there's no looking ahead. It's right here, right now, this is what we're doing, and it is and I'm sure everyone is concentrating on the game, but it seemed like their level of focus on the here and now, on what we have to do, on winning this basketball game, was greater than anyone else's. And I, you know, having coached little kids, right, mm-hmm. which is the exact opposite, right, right. you have no attention span. <laughs> I really, I really appreciated that singular focus and that ability to focus and compete. And not cry about officials and not worry about the schedule and not who's hurt. None of that stuff. They just kind of kept kept going along, going along, and dealing with what they had to deal with. Well, it just goes to show, I think, you know, while 
you know, commitment, right? If everyone is 100% committed, then distractions and, you know, whatever's going on, media, uh, all that stuff. You know, I, I remember um, right before the game where, well, right at, or the next game where Pippen had back issues mm-hmm. and they're in the locker room or the training area and you hear the TV, the reporters talking about Pippen and what does Phil Jackson go do? He shuts off the TV, yeah. you know, because that's that's not important. You know, whatever, all that outside noise is not important. So he, he you know, and he didn't yeah. want that to, to I guess, and right at distract. that point, And right at that point, the TV guys were speculating whether he was going to play. Yeah. And, and I think that was Phil Jackson's way of saying, it doesn't matter. Right. We have a job to do, and this job is more important than whether he plays or not. Yeah. We'll do it with him. We'll do it without him. We'll do it with him at 50%, at 30%. We'll do it with him leaving every five minutes to go back to the locker room and get treatment. We'll do whatever we have to do, but we will do this. And that, that's, yeah. yeah, just amazing. He just, very subtle little touch points of things that he did to kind of keep people focused and keep people on the same page and things like that. That's what I really appreciated about um, about Phil Jackson and, and Michael Jordan as well. I think Michael was very much that way. His yeah. competitive drive was all about this game and he couldn't think about anything else and big credit to everybody else on that team on those teams because those non-high profile guys they obviously bought in and that's important too to Jordan and that's why I think Jordan you know is uh is you know mentions his teammates so much because he realizes that I'm sure he realizes he's the fucking star right and, you know, media, all the media wants to talk to him, but he couldn't do all this on the court without the players, without his teammates. Yeah. So they obviously had to buy in and realize that, you know, they were the fucking fourth wheel, you know, to the team, plain and simple. They, they weren't the go-to guys. So, and, you know, that there's no egos involved there. It was, so, inter- it was interesting to hear Steve Kerr say, I was having a terrible game, and when you only get five shots, yeah. you know you feel like crap if you miss them. Right. It's like, holy shit, yeah, like th- that almost makes more pressure on him, right? Because yeah. he's like, fuck, I'm gonna get, I'm only gonna get five shots, and I've already missed three. You know, I'm already gonna have a bad shooting day because I'm, I'm only gonna get a couple more. Right. Just yeah, amazing, and yeah. that those guys could focus through that. And again, I think that to me that is, that is very much Phil Jackson being able to draw them and keep them united and keep them focused on that singular goal. And, and Jordan as well, right? Because he was such a such a hard-driving right. driving guy. Yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic good stuff. stuff. The only thing that I wish we would have had more of in the documentary, I wish we would have had more shots of Michelle... Screaming her head off at the at the Pacers game. Yeah. I'm assuming her name's Michelle. It has to be Michelle. Michelle or Jennifer or right? Karen or Karen. It's got to be one of those three. She was but, very mad. She was. <laughs> she was a hardcore Pacers fan, man. It's hilarious. I I love. I actually paused it and rewound it to try to hear exactly what she said. It they've was, they've made a bunch of gifts. On oh her yeah, on the internet. Pretty funny. Yeah, but, I'm sure. I'm sure. 
The best thing about the shot that Jordan hit on uh, Byron Russell, which I still don't know if it's Brian or Byron. I wish he was on the documentary so he can clarify what the fuck his name is. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know if Jordan pushed yeah. off. I just want to know if his name is Byron or Brian. But I, but actually, I do want to know if Jordan pushed I don't. I don't. I'm not one of those believers that Jordan pushed off. But I would like to hear it from him. If what 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 his thoughts were on that play, because you know at the beginning of, of episode ten, Byron, don't call me Brian Russell, is talking shit to Jordan. I think yeah. When Jordan went over to play, Jordan was playing baseball and he went to a Utah game, a Bulls game in Utah, mm-hmm. and I think Russell was talking shit to him. Right. He said, "Oh, why'd you have to retire? I could guard you this and that." And Jordan, of course, has this made up hit list of his. <laughs> Uh, that he just fucking picks random shit and you know he was on his uh, I guess he yeah. was on his list and so I would like to hear from Russell what he you know what his what his uh, thoughts were but I guess he was just uh, embarrassed and I don't know didn't want to show his face I guess I don't I, know I don't think he has anything to be embarrassed about I mean well then come out well then be undocumentary I mean you know Reggie Miller didn't want to do the fucking doc either but yeah he, he, he really didn't want to yeah, do it but he, but the story he did goes it. that he did not want to do it yeah. at all so but eh, whatever you know and I, but I can I've never liked Reggie Miller and that to me just adds to that whole thing like why not do the documentary it's not going to change anything I mean yeah, but he did it though it was, it was what it was but, but why, why why do you have to be so damn difficult like just just freaking do it. Just shut your mouth and do it. Huh? But he did do, do it. They'll do a documentary about you someday. Well, the highlight of his documentary would probably be Cheryl Miller. <laughs> you know, I think that's part of the reason why he is that way is because he. I think he hates the fact that he's always talked about with Cheryl Miller. Right. And kind of, at times, even overshadowed by Cheryl Miller. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. Because they don't play the same. Which is weird because Reggie Miller was fucking great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he took and, down a whole f- and he was, fucking city. And he was a, I mean, he was as confident and as clutch. As oh, yeah. Come. I mean, yeah. we all know what he did to the Knicks. He did it to the Bulls. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so. Did you love that shot of Larry Bird after the shot went in? They take the lead, and Larry Bird doesn't cheer at all because he knows there's still one one second left. <laughs> no, no, I didn't notice that. I just noticed when he called him a bitch and said, fuck you yeah. to Jordan. I thought that was great. <laughs> and then Jordan, just to get the last word, says, well, now you got more time to practice your golf game, golf swing or whatever. Yeah, it's amazing how good of friends a lot of those guys became from that summer yeah. in Barcelona. Right, yeah. Because remember, back in those days, they weren't as friendly you know, across teams like they are now. Right. But that one dream team was very, very close. You know, Chris Mullen, very close to Patrick Ewing. Yeah. And they were bitter rivals from college. Um, Patrick Ewing and, and Larry Bird, who, you know, they were bitter rivals in the in the East. And then you got Isaiah Thomas, who's friends with all of them. Right. But only from a distance. <laughs> Those guys probably, some of those guys probably bonded over stories about Isaiah. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're sitting there talking trash talking about shit. Isaiah and Karl Malone's like, hold my beer. Yeah. I said, you know, I, I gashed him with an elbow to the face. <laughs> Speaking of Karl Malone, I, I thought of him going into the bus after getting beat by the Bulls and telling, you know, and saying, hey, what's up, guys? And then going straight to Jordan was yeah. uh, 
I I wasn't expecting it was, that. It was shocking, right? It was, yeah. But again, that's that's those friendships from that dream team, which right. I think those that bond is yeah is is just incredible. The other thing about the Jazz that struck me has John Stockton aged at all. I mean, he mm-hmm. looks like he looks exactly the same. He looks like he could roll a basketball <laughs> out there and still run a pick and roll. Yeah. Now, I don't know about Carl Malone, but I know his hair is like he doesn't have like one white hair. Yeah, and he has all of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what the hell? Skin is all you know yeah. shiny and yeah, and he's still and he looks real slim and yeah. you know in good shape. Doesn't look like he's got a pot belly or anything. Yeah, he could probably still play. He could probably still ball. Huh? Amazing, amazing, amazing. Great stuff. There's a bunch of other documentaries coming up that I, I can't wait to see. They're gonna have the the Sammy Sosa Mark McGuire one, which I'm gonna enjoy. They're gonna have the Lance Armstrong one, the Bruce Lee one. Bruce Lee. Yeah, I can't really? wait to see that. Be water. Be water. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. Oh. You don't know anything about Bruce Lee, do you? No, I. I mean, no. I probably watched one of his movies. Dude, promise me you will watch it. I probably won't watch it. Oh my god, you've got to watch it. I probably won't watch it. Dude, you have to watch it. I, I don't know. Well, it depends what's on TV. Depends on what sports are coming <laughs> yeah. out by that point. I'll definitely watch the Sosa Maguire. Oh yeah, it'll so. be it'll be freaky when they go back and forth right between the interview and the old clips, and you're like, yeah. "Who's the white guy?" Yeah, <laughs> well, you wonder if that's how the, how it'll be too, right? Or if it'll be timelined. Well, it'll be it'll be just like the Jordan documentary, right? Well, Will it? Yeah, they'll have interviews with people from today. No, but I'm saying is it gonna go back and forth like that? Oh, I don't know. It may run chronologically right. right but 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 in that right in the in there there'll be clips from 1994 or whenever it was and there'll be clips from the interview they did with them you know two months ago yeah in which case you're gonna see the two shades of sammy i, w- I wonder if sammy will, will talk about himself in the third person so that we don't get confused <laughs> the the five shades of sammy <laughs> Sammy Shades. Fifty Shades of Sammy. So, so. Fifty Shades of Sammy. You know, maybe that's why he's doing the documentary because he wants maybe to, he wants you to... know, get a get a gig in Hollywood and and have his own movie. Maybe. Fifty Shades of Sammy Sosa. He wants to clear up his uh, skin tone. <laughs> We're terrible. Yeah, I want to watch that one and the Doc Halliday. I know the Halliday is only a thirty for thirty, so it's probably a, maybe an hour. Maybe they'll make it into two hour. I don't know, but that one I, I definitely want to see that watch. one. I... I have a feeling that one's going to be sad. Probably. I have a feeling that one's going to... It's not going to be sad. It's going to make me sad. But, I mean, there's a lot to talk about as far as his baseball career with him. Oh, yeah. Because he was such a fucking great pitcher. He was a great pitcher. He was. I think he's kind of forgotten because he wasn't very outgoing. Yeah. But I think it's... And uh, he played in Toronto for most of his career. You can get lost in Canada. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know... But. They count balls and strikes differently up there. I mean, it's it's a different game. It's, it's like Canadian rules football, yeah, right? It's the just that the field is bigger. Yeah. And fucking they, they have two outs instead of three outs. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just different. It's just different. It's different. <laughs> I think all of those are going to be good. I, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to all of them. They should be. Um, maybe I'm just becoming a documentary nut. I wonder if that makes me old. No, that's just all we got right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. That's just this all we got. Speaking of what we got... You got anything else? Nah, man. I think we're done with this one. We're done with this one. As always, folks, you can catch this on YouTube, uh, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you 
choose to uh, whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to or watch if you're watching on YouTube. If you want to get a hold of us on the show, you can email the show, positivesports10 at gmail.com, positivesports10 at gmail.com. If you want to get a hold of this guy over here, how do they do that, Alex? On Twitter at BrooklynGaucho1. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can do so on Twitter as well, at emontana21. You got a shout-out? No. I have have two shout-outs. My first one is actually to someone that lost. Walt Harris... Returned to the UFC Octagon Saturday night and unfortunately lost to Alistair Overeem. Uh, Back in October, his daughter was abducted and subsequently murdered uh, as she was driving back to college. And this was Walt Harris's first fight back. And my shout out goes to him because it takes an extreme amount of courage to deal with the loss that he is dealing with so publicly and then to come back and do something that is so difficult, which is get in a cage with another grown man trying to take your head off. And for him to perform the way he did, it wasn't his best night. But for him to go through the training process during this pandemic, for him to put his story out there and, and answer all the questions and deal with the own his own healing process in such a public light and to do it all with class and integrity uh, is just, I, I don't know if I could do it. Um, I really, I really don't know how I would respond. Uh, I would find it very difficult, and I'm sure he is too. But he is dealing with it uh, amazingly well. And my hats off. My shout out goes to him. My other shout out goes to Zach Bitter. Zach Bitter on Saturday decided he was going to run a hundred miles, and he decided he was going to run a hundred miles on a treadmill, and he decided he was going to run a hundred miles on a treadmill. Faster than anyone had ever run a hundred miles on a treadmill before. What is wrong with him? And he did it. He did it in 12 hours and 9 minutes. And I know you're really good with the math, but I will do it for you anyway. 7 minutes and 18 seconds per mile for a hundred miles. Just an incredible performance. He actually had two treadmills because he sweat so much that he didn't want to slip off of one. So Mm -hmm. he would occasionally switch so that they could wipe the other one down. And it was all on YouTube. It was fantastic production. And Zach Bitter is the new record holder of 100 miles on a treadmill. Hmm. He holds the record for 100 miles, like, on the road. Right. Uh, He did that in 11 hours and 30 minutes, I think. 32 minutes, something like that. Now he has the world record on a treadmill as well. Hmm. So, hats off to Zach Bitter. Fantastic. Well... With that, we've come to the end of another wonderful episode of the Positive Sports Podcast. As always, folks, we appreciate you listening, watching, and interacting with us. As always, folks, ignore the negativity. Be the positivity. Peace.